Welcome, or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. COVID has switched my attention to big league games this year, but players develop at that level as well until they no longer do. If you have any questions about Cubs development, this podcast, anything along those lines, fire away on the contest line or at Tim815 on Twitter or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Adam, Cotton, and Kimbrell, and ask me questions if I was confusing. We spend our time where it's valued, and I don't wish to waste yours. Despite the fact that this one is entitled Adam, Cotton, and Kimbrell, I'm going to start in an entirely different fashion. Arcia, or Orlando Arcia, the shortstop for Milwaukee sent me on a journey today. I'd finally had enough of him apparently crushing the Cubs while being entirely ordinary against everyone. Everyone else, at least. The uh, One of the terms that is popular in baseball parlance is the Cub killer. For instance, Mike Schmidt was a Cub killer. Mike Schmidt was really good against everybody. He hit over 500 home runs. He's a Hall of Famer. I think he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. If he wasn't, he should have been. And he mashed against everyone. I decided to look it up. Mike Schmidt's OPS against the Cubs was third in the league. He had a better career against per OPS that just I didn't check on his defensive numbers or anything his uh OPS against the Cubs was third he did better against Cincinnati and San Diego for whatever reason no idea not you know different divisions so he played against them less I don't know what but for for whatever reason Mike Schmidt hit better OPS-wise against Cincinnati and San Diego than against the Cubs. Now, might seem an odd place for a starting point for a Cubs podcast, but I finally decided I was going to look it up. Arcia, ever since 2017, 2017 he was negligible offensively, then against the Cubs in the postseason game. No, that'd be 2018. 2018 in the postseason game, the um, game 163, Arcia had three hits, drove in. He was he was the thing. He probably, I, I don't know who the pitcher was for Milwaukee, but Arcia might have been the player of the game if that were properly voted on. Uh, I don't remember what he did against the Cubs last year. Blur kind of a thing. But this year against Kyle Hendricks, Kyle Hendricks on opening day pitched a three-hitter. You know who had all three hits? Ding. Orlando Arcia. So Arcia had three hits then. Today, they moved him all the way up in the order to eighth today. So they have their best hitter hitting eighth. And, of course, he had three hits and a home run. So, middle of the game, I decide I'm going to look it up. 
what is Arcia's OPS against the Cubs for his career? I'm thinking like 930, 1174. I click on Fangraphs. And actually, Fangraphs is a wonderful site, especially if you're looking for what is a pitcher's velocity on his two-seamer or his four-seamer, or what is the variance between his uh, two-seamer and his change-up, or his two-seamer and his curveball. It's really good for a lot of stuff like that. But I have a hard time navigating Fangraphs. No offense, people at Fangraphs. I, I, I'm really bad with computers. So I was trying to figure out what players' numbers were against specific teams on Fangraphs. And using my telephone I'm looking at right now, I was having a hard time. I thought I was going to get there. I pressed what should have been the right button. And uh, I was looking for the sort button, and it wasn't there. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try Fangraphs. I'm going to try um, BB Ref. Baseball Reference generally ends up being my default because I like the navigation on Fangraphs, on Baseball Reference. Sue me. I like baseball reference more than I like fan graphs most of the time because I can navigate. It's like it, it makes sense to me. So on baseball reference, I clicked um, splits. You know, it, I, I, I turned up Arcea's splits page or Arcea's regular player page, clicked on the, you know, search for other stuff and uh, clicked on splits. And here comes the splits thing. And, you know, it's right, left, day, night, left, right. It's like, no, no, no. I want to actually see. Oh, there it is. I clicked on the one that said against teams. I set it up for career. And coming into today, RC is OPS for his career against the Cubs. I didn't write it down, but it's something like 576. I thought it was way higher than that. Well, it's going to be way higher than that now. Because he went three for uh, three for whatever and hit a home run, and he was about as the, important as the players there was in the game. So it is possible to research that stuff. So if someone says, fill in the blank, is a Cubs killer, you're certainly welcome. I even hereby give you permission. Wow, I'm giving you permission look up on Baseball Reference, or if you're more of a Fangraphs person and you're a whole lot better at navigating than I am, looking up and, you know what? His OPS is actually better against this other team, or he's, the the, the Cubs are the fourth best team in the National League against it. You can look that stuff up. It's there. It's available. So if someone says, Mike Schmidt was a Cubs killer, yeah, he was. I guess he was a Hall of Famer that was really good against the Cubs and was arguably a little bit better against the Reds and a little bit better against the Padres than he was against the Cubs. Against the Cubs, his OPS was like 984, and against the other two, he was just a little bit over 1,000. So, you know, it was kind of negligible, but uh, Mike Schmidt was really... For those of you who didn't get to see Mike Schmidt year after year after year after year... He was, okay, I'm going to, I've never said this before. I've never really thought of this before. Mike Schmidt 
back then was the prototype for the third baseman that we have now. It used to be back then, the third baseman was usually the, well, Ron Sano was a decent example. Sano was six foot, six one. Again, I'll have to look that up. But Santo was by no means a big, imposing dude. And he's a good hitter, very good player, very good defensively. Decent enough base runner, especially early in his career. Very good defensively. And whether you believe in clutch hitting or not, you can argue that one way or the other, whatever. But Santo was a very good third baseman, but he wasn't really a prototype for what we have now. When you think of third baseman now, you think of guy who's 6'4", 6'5", has enough range to get it done, and has power, can hit it out to right center. I, I'm basically telling you everything that I knew about Mike Schmidt back in the day, and that's what you have in Chris Bryant, Anthony Rendon, Matt Chapman, um, the, there's a... Uh, Yoan Moncada, all the really good third basemen now, it seems, are the big dudes who can mash the ball, as opposed to the, like, um, Carney Lansford was a guy back in the day who was a good, though not great, third baseman. He was tall-ish, 6'1", 6'2", probably, very good defensively, at least until his arm gave out. But uh, he was never really a power hitter. The guys now at third base, it's a heyday for third basemen. Pretty much every team has a guy now that they're happy with or they might be happy with. For instance, the Phillies just called up Alec Bohm, who was a recent early draft pick. And stop me if you've heard, me, heard this before. He's big. He can hit it the other way for power. He can pull it for power. He's going to be very dangerous. And since he's in Philadelphia, he'll probably get booed by his own team, by his own fans. So that is what people get in third baseman now. And Mike Schmidt was the prototype. The guy that you see that you really like in Major League Baseball who's a third baseman, he's basically a he he, he came from he, he's the um number of people say that in Heavy metal music, the the godfathers are Black Sabbath. If you want to believe that or not, the current metalheads, their forefathers, Black Sabbath. The current really good third baseman, their prototype, Mike Schmidt. If you want to argue about Black Sabbath, feel free to call me on the line. Um... So, you can look stuff up. You can look to see how good Arcia has done against the Cubs. You can look up to see how well Billy Hamilton has hit against the Cubs as opposed to everyone else. I didn't get that far. I'll probably do it after I get done with this. But uh, you can actually look that stuff up. It's not that hard. It's kind of like a person who was venting, spleening. I really like, I, I apologize. I really like the term spleening for I'm baselessly complaining about the game that I just saw in, I, 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 the term just works for me. It's very Russian and I like that angle of it. Very Russian. Uh, somebody was spleening about how is it that the Cubs 
had David Phelps last year. And now he goes to the Brewers and does really well. Now, okay, he's doing really well so far this year. Won't argue that at all. The person said when he was with the Cubs, he couldn't get anybody out. You know what? That sounds like a fun thing to fact check. I remember that David Phelps got used a lot. I couldn't specifically remember what his numbers were or how well he did. But I figured, you know what? I'm going to go to Baseball Reference because Baseball Reference has records of that kind of stuff. So I went back to oh, David Phelps. Okay, here's his numbers. Okay, I'm going to scoot it over a little bit. 2019 with the Cubs, what was his ERA plus? Now, for those of you who are um, not too techie, trust me, I'm not either. Not too techie on all the current advanced baseball numbers. ERA plus is how the player's earned run average lines up against the average in the league for that season. So, for instance, if someone says this guy had a 3.76 ERA in a certain season, is that good or is that bad? How'd the league do that year? You'd have to look it up. So if his ERA in a certain year is 3.76 and you look it up and the league's ERA that year was 2.47, that guy was terrible. Whereas if you look it up and the league's ERA was 4.34, he was really good. ERA, ERA plus is a measure of that. So I decided, what was David Phelps' ERA plus in 2019 when he was with the Cubs? I looked it up. Instead of just relying upon my memory, which is pretty faulty sometimes, looked it up. David Phelps' ERA plus with the Cubs in 2019 was 140. That's good. That's very good. David Phelps did very well with the Cubs. They traded Thomas Hatch to get him. They didn't re-sign him for this year. Life goes on. Uh, didn't particularly like the trade, but oh, oh well, there we go. Um, after the break, I'll get back to the stuff that I warned you I was going to talk about. I can't emphasize enough how much I enjoy you guys listening to my podcast. I've been looking at the numbers and they've been getting better. They've been getting better. I don't know if I've been getting better, but the numbers have been getting better. If you want to keep me cranking them out, recommend them to a like-minded friend, Cubs fan friend, or consider sponsoring my efforts. While either would be greatly appreciated, you continuing to listen is more important. Um... Before the game started, the Cubs made a slight flurry of moves. Can you make a slight flurry of moves? I'm going to call designating a player for assignment and adding someone to the 40-man roster from the 60-man player pool a flurry of moves, especially since by designating for assignment Jarrell Cotton, the Cubs reduced their 60-man player pool to 58. Jarrell Cotton was a player I'd been interested in on his way up. I think the Cubs had been interested in him for a while as well. 
and they were interested in him when he was with the athletics. Athletics fans were interested in him when he was with the athletics until his arm gave out or his elbow gave out, whichever it was. And he missed some time. He ended up getting non-tendered. The Cubs br uh, brought him in in the off season, and it didn't work out. He um, obviously. Cotton could have been the player called up today, but the Cubs instead decided to call up Jason Adam with the cost being Jarrell Cotton getting designated for assignment. Now, I'm always fascinated by the designation for assignment because it ranks somewhat a player on how well perceived he is. If a player gets designated for assignment and is traded for an actual person, an actual player, an actual prospect, that means he's rather well respected because he actually brought something back in exchange. If a player gets run through waivers, then he's probably a bit less valued because the team running him through waivers wants to get him through waivers so they can keep him. So if they get run through waivers, but they get claimed the team gets a little tiny bit of money, but uh, that player is considered more valid than the player who got traded for an actual per player. The player that gets run through waivers and survives, they're down even a lower bit on the run. They, you know, so you get the, the top ladder is the guy who doesn't get designated for assignment ever. The few rungs lower is the guy who gets designated and traded for a player. Then the guy who gets designated, run through waivers, and claimed is a lower rung. The guy who gets run through waivers and isn't claimed is even a lower rung. And the lowest rung is if you get run through waivers, you don't get claimed, and the team says, ah, screw it, you're gone anyway. That's, that's the lowest rung. That's basically saying... Yeah, he's not, he's not really in our future plans very much. So that's the check down. Checking the boxes is over. I wish Jarrell Cotton the best. Um, even if he goes to like the Brewers or the Cardinals, I wish him well. It, it seems like, you know, I haven't heard anyone saying he's a, um, he's a douche. I haven't heard anybody saying he's a, you know, he's a loser. I wish him well. It, uh, pitching at the major league level is hard. Good luck to him and... Uh, I hope whether he sticks around with the Cubs or not, I hope he does well, figures it out, and gets back to the major le leagues and at least has one chance again. It'd be nice to have him get at least one chance again. Um, Adam was brought up. My guess was, I think I mentioned this yesterday, Jeremy Jeffress is ideally a one-inning guy. There are a lot of relievers who are trained through the minor league system, throw as hard as you can for 15 pitches, then we'll get in somebody else. And fans get a bit restless on that. Well, why don't they go two innings? Well, if you're going max effort, if a pitcher's going max effort to throw 97 or 98, and that's getting people out, that's a good thing, right? 97, 98, getting people out for one inning. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It used to be back in the day, relievers 
were expected to go two, three, four innings because they only had, you know, four or five relievers. And uh, eh, five or six, six or seven, five or six back in the day. And pitchers were expected to go three or four or five innings. So what the, what teams ended up having a lot of was the sinker slider reliever. Warren Brewster comes to mind, if you're old enough to remember him. Not a bad pitcher, but he threw like 88-89. Took a little off, put a little on, took a little off again. But he never really threw hard. And if you bring that kind of guy into uh, the affiliated baseball system now, 88-89 doesn't get many strikeouts, he'd have a hard time making making it out of the Northwest League. That's just reality. Now, some guys would, some guys can do that. Kyle Hendricks comes to mind, but those are the outliers. It's really difficult for a pitcher to use two or three or four pitches and only throw about 92, 93 miles an hour and be really successful as relievers. Some can do it, not a whole lot. So what teams usually are doing now is they're training the relievers to throw as hard as they can. No, there are two pitches. One is probably going to be a fastball, and they have a second pitch. Those are the only two pitches they're going to use. They're going to go out, pitch 15 pitches, probably 11 or 12 will be fastballs, and two or three will be the other, and then they're done. Ideally, that gets them through an inning. They might go 17, 18 pitches, but usually 15, 16, 17 pitches, that's what they're built for. Get them out and give them a day off. That's how rosters are put together today. You can like that. You can not like that. That's fair. Jason Adam came in today, and he was, boy, I, I, didn't, I didn't see a whole lot on the velocity numbers, but Jordan Bastian, who does a nice job, Jordan Bastian does a nice job for the Cubs, was reporting, he does the, um, MI, uh, the MLB.com stuff, the role that Kerry Musket used to have. Um, but Jordan Bastian was talking about how today, uh, Adam in the seventh inning when he was pitching league average for a two seamer is 2,400 RPM, which is just a number. Adam today in the seventh inning was throwing 2,700 RPM. You want your pitchers to have more RPM, not less RPM, so that Adam was legitimately above league average is a good thing. Ian Happ kind of misplayed a fly ball for a triple, and on the throwback to the infield, Nico Horner's relay throw was not as desired, and the Cubs ended up losing the game. And again... I'm going to go explain about it. Nah, yeah, you learn something. Horner probably needs to work on his cutoff throws a little bit. Um, if that's what you take out of a game, that's what you take out of a game, and you go from there. Uh, Adam gave up a run in innings. So, oh, he's terrible. He has a 9.0 ERA. Huh? Forever's a long time, which leads to my next, next and final comment. Craig Kimbrell. Baseball fans in general, possibly people in general, but baseball fans in specific, a lot of baseball fans in specific, love to be the first person on the 
um, what do you call it? You have the big boat and then you have the little uh, boat that's off on the side for in case the, may, the boat blows up and you need to have, um, oh crap. I, when I think of my, uh, allegories on the fly, it's, uh, I, I know what I'm trying to talk, you know, the little, the little boat, the, um, answer, shoot me something on the contest line, uh, tell me the word I'm thinking of, but, uh, you get the little tiny boat, everybody wants to jump on the little tiny boat first, and be the first one to say, Craig Kimbrell ought to be designated for assignment. Why is that important? Why is it important to A, be the first person when B, you have not enough information to decide and C, you're not getting anything out of it anyway. Nothing. You know, if, some, if there is a contest going on officially and the first person to say this player should get designated for assignment gets $3 million tax-free then I could understand I'm going to try to be the first person to overreact and say, this guy's terrible. I, I can get that if there's a payoff. There's not. There's a, if you say, oh, Greg Kimbrell, ought to be designated for assignment, you're not getting a reward. You're not getting paid. You're not getting more friends. You're just not. It's not going to work. It's not, it's not informative. It's not funny. It's not anything. It's an overreaction. When a player's contract is guaranteed, unless there's someone that is absolutely specifically better, that will make the team better, and doesn't jack with the finances, he's going to stick around. Jason Hayward's going to stick around until the Cubs have a better right fielder. As soon as the Cubs have a better right fielder, they'll be able to trade Jason Hayward without too much problem. But since the Cubs don't really have a better right fielder than Jason Hayward right now, He's the guy. So, Craig Kimbrell was bad last year. I know that. You know that. Everybody knows that. All you have to do to effectively comment on that is to say, Craig Kimbrell really struggled last year. See? I made a statement. I didn't overstate anything. I was entirely accurate. Craig Kimbrell struggled last year. The first three outings this year, guess what? Craig Kimbrell struggled still. So everybody jumped on the, um, I still can't remember what you call that thing that's by, uh, I, I'll think I'll think of it at five in the morning, whatever. Um, everybody's trying to get on the boat to be the first or the second or the third person to say, Craig Kimbrell ought to be designated for assignment. Except if someone asks them, Okay, which specific player are you going to add to the forty-man roster? To up? I don't, I don't want logical questions, the leading questions, questions that answer things. Now, I just want to make an overreaction that's entirely inaccurate and doesn't apply in the real world because it makes me sound snarky or something. I, 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 I really don't understand that. There are so many things out there that take a little time to actually understand what the heck is going on. Before you say, 
Um, the pitcher from last year had couldn't get anybody out. Look up the numbers. Check it out. There, there are plenty of flipping resources out there. If you're thinking, as I was, Arcia sure hits the Cubs really well, I should have looked it up. I asked people, does anybody happen to know? Nobody else had any more motivation than I did. I looked it up. I figured it out. And by the time I figured it out, he'd hit another home run. So, And then I called him uh, Honus Wagner. So it's all good. But um, don't overreact. Baseball is a long season. This year is shorter than the others. And we don't know how much longer it's going to go on. But if you're going to make a comment on whatever, this is one of the things, get running back into the, the other rabbit holes that I'm running into. It's really useful for me to remind myself I ought to do more homework on things. I actually did a little bit for this show. Normally I haven't been. I really should probably do more. Sometimes they end up sounding... Um, a bit contrived when I have too much information and I like it to be more. I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about in the next two minutes, but uh, do the research. It's not really that hard. If I can find out on baseball reference in two and a half minutes what Orlando Arcia's OPS is against the Cubs, you can find stuff out really easily too. It's not that hard. And if you're going to make a blanket statement, and it can be proven or disproven by looking at numbers, you might want to look them up. There, there's something that, in one of the rabbit holes, I had made a comment that I've always thought was accurate. Somebody called me on it. I still think I'm right, but I let it go, because you know what? That may be their specific area of expertise. Perhaps that's the one thing that they have right in the entire world. And if they're calling me out on it, and I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong, probably pulling back and not saying anything is better than doubling down on something that's wrong. There's a lot of people doubling down on stuff that's wrong these days. And it really makes them look bad. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to pull back. Maybe I was right. Maybe I was wrong. And I haven't gotten back to, I haven't located the information that I need to know whether I was right or wrong. And if I do find out if I was right or wrong, then I'll write it down so I know where I can go look to find the answer. And either way, and then when the topic comes up, I'll know which way to respond. Yes, that is what happened. No, that isn't what happened. My, where did you find that information? Well, I happened to be looking for that for a couple of months, and I found it at this one place. Here's a link to it. You might want to go look it out, look at it. I don't know if it's in complete violation of what you thought before you made your comment or completely agrees with what you... But there's some information. There's someone who has an opinion on exactly that topic. You might want to go read it. Baseball would be so much more amusing. Twitter would be so much more amusing. Social media would be so much more amusing. Being around people would be so much more amusing if people were 
far more likely to say, that's an interesting point. I've never thought of it that way before. I may have been wrong. I'd probably better do a little bit of research to find out if what I've been saying these last five or six years is truly accurate. Wouldn't it be fun if people said that? You make a point. So someone makes some baseless comment on Twitter. You say, well, there is this information here that conflicts what you said. And they say, wow, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to have to think about that. Maybe I was wrong. Wouldn't life be better if that stuff, I'll say stuff, happened more often? Okay, very rarely, very rarely it'll happen. Uh, today, someone was, not, not the same thing, same kind of, same kind of realm. Um, someone was talking about homeschooling and having the Pledge of Allegiance. Interesting topic. If you're going to have your child homeschooled this fall, should you have the Pledge of Allegiance? Interesting call. Interesting question. Now, my stance is words are really important to me, and the word allegiance carries a whole lot of baggage with it. My definition of allegiance and your definition of allegiance and uh, the, defi the definition of allegiance for different people is quite varied. And a lot of people don't really have any idea what the word flipping means. Allegiance is a really tough word to put all into one all-inclusive package. So someone was asking, I'm thinking I might have my kids say the Pledge of Allegiance if we homeschool this fall. I said something along the lines of, what's your definition of allegiance? In regards to a country, can you be allegiant to the country and still think they have a whole lot of problems? I think that's a fair question. I think that's a fair question. For instance, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with instant runoff voting. That's where when you go to the ballot, you're voting for president. Instead of filling in one box, and that's the person who I'm voting for, instead of doing it that way, let's say in your state there's five names. Dig five names on your ballot. You rank those five candidates from one to five. It's on a computer. So once everything gets all tallied up, what ends up happening is the first time through, everybody votes for their number one candidate. Everybody votes for their number one candidate, whoever that is. Whether they're likely to get 40% of the vote or not. So you, everybody votes for their number one. And if it turns out that the first run through in your state... nobody has a majority, then the name that came in fifth place is tossed off. And you run the program again. Whoever comes in fourth place gets tossed off unless someone has 50% or more of the vote. 
And you just keep eliminating, eliminating. Now, why, why would that do any good? Some of you might be saying, why would that do any good? I tend to lean toward voting for third-party candidates. I've seen what the Democrats have done. I've seen what the Republicans have done. Really, I haven't been all that sold on either one of them for the last 50-umpteen years. And uh, so I, I'd like to be able to have the opportunity to vote for someone else. But everybody tells me, if I'm going to vote for someone other than the person with a hyphen R or a hyphen D after their name, you're wasting your vote. No, I'm not wasting my vote. I'm voting for who I damn well want to. And if that's not who you want me to vote for, then, oh, well, who I, I, I'm over it already if you're not tough break. So I, I, I'm going to vote for whoever I'm going to vote for. But I would like everyone else to know that there is no vote wasting. You can vote for whoever the heck you want. So I can walk in. Let's say there's a Green Party candidate. There's a Libertarian Party candidate. And there's um Constitution Party candidate. I think the, those, the, those are the three main alternate parties. So you have the Republican, the Democrat, the Constitution Party, the Green Party, and the Libertarian. Now let's say I vote for the the three alternate party candidates, one, two, and three. Let's just toss that out. Okay, I vote for them, one, two, and three. Well, they run the first through, and nobody gets the 50%. Okay, whoever ends up coming in fifth gets bounced. They run it again. Well, my vote's still not going to count for the winner because probably nobody's going... Probably the Republican or the Democrat is going to get over 50% way before either of the other three do. But I'm not, waste, I'm not wasting my vote at all. I'm voting for who I want to. And the system is eliminating the last place finisher each time. So after the fifth place person, the fourth place person, and the third place person are eliminated, and they, if it still doesn't have somebody getting 50%, then you run it again and... I would have either the R person or the D person as number four, and then possibly I might vote for the person who would end up winning. But I didn't waste my vote. Now, that's the way I think elections ought to be done in the United States. I'm not so much worried about the um, electoral college or blah, 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 blah. I want to know that I can vote for whoever I want without anyone telling me I'm wasting my vote. So... I think instant runoff voting would be a good thing in the United States. So now if I push that the United States is probably doing their elections wrong because they don't have instant runoff voting, am I showing allegiance or I am or am I showing a lack of allegiance? You tell me. I have a I have something that annoys me. But I have a reason specifically that it does annoy me. Am I being allegiant or am I being non-allegiant? There are a number of people who say, if you don't agree almost down the line with everything that's being done, you're not showing allegiance and you should just leave to Europe. Well, Europe won't allow Americans to show up on an airplane because COVID. So uh, I guess I'm kind of stuck here for a while. But um, allegiance is a funny funny word. Now, where was I? Um, definitions. Kimbrell, I have no idea what he's going to do 
for the next two months. He had two kind of crappy outings, one sort of crappy outing, one one outing that was kind of good, and today he was actually really good. So if he has really good outings interspersed with kind of crappy outings and okay outings, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. I don't know that I want him being a primary closer on a team, but um, he, he'll, if he if he has occasional good, really good outings, he'll be fine. Um, people who are into overreactions because they like to make a splash make me tired. They make me tired, especially when I call them on their crap and they go crickets. They're when I call, David Phelps. When I call somebody out on David Phelps had a one forty plus ERA, uh, one forty ERA plus last year in twenty nineteen with the Cubs, and you're saying he couldn't get anybody out. I called him on his crap. I called him on it, and he didn't respond. Okay. If you have an opinion, have a reason for it. If you need to look up numbers to justify that opinion, it's probably a good idea to look up the numbers before you spew your whatever you're going to say. And if it's just simply that you're really frustrated that the Cubs are loading the bases and then not getting anybody to score, here's the way to solve for that. Say, I'm really frustrated that the Cubs are loading the bases and not getting getting the runners in. Easy as that. Don't overreact. Don't misstate things. I do occasionally too. Occasionally I'll misspell a word because I don't because my auto caret decides what I what they thought I wrote instead of what I actually tried to write. Um, oh, there's one guy who. I was talking a little bit yesterday about players who I might follow. And I was asking a couple of people who will be very important for me to pay attention to when I get back into the I'm going to start following college baseball again thing. And Auto Carrot completely changed somebody's name. I, I typed in exactly what his name was, and uh, Auto Carrot changed it to something like <sighs> Criminal Likelihood or something like that. It, it wasn't that, but it was, wow, that's completely different than what I wrote, typed in. So uh, if you're going to have an opinion, have a reason for it. Take the, take the 45 seconds, look the number up. And I wish Jarrell Cotton well. Jason Adam might be around tomorrow. He might not be. He might get quote-unquote sent back to the South Bend alternate training site, which probably in reality means he'll just stick around the team because they don't need him for a day. What they might end up doing is having Adam get sent back tomorrow with Adbert Elzele being added for the second game. And then when there's the twin bill on Wednesday, 
they might reactivate Jason Adam in the 29th spot for the second game because they can do that if in a doubleheader, even if the player has been recently sent back. We'll have to look. We'll have, we'll have to see how it goes. And hopefully Nico Horner works on his relay throws because I finally have something to um, say that he needs to really improve on. You have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll try to post another podcast as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to make that one worth your while as well. Be safe. Go Cubs, go. Be nice to people.